Hi, this is Stephen again, and you're listening to From the Rookery End. Return to our uh, our home of the Railway Arms Pub across the road from Bushy Train Station for our latest podcast, March 2012. We're back in the railway. It's actually from the old rookery up in. <laughs> Because happy St Patrick's Day to you, John, and happy St Patrick's to you. Uh, happy St Patrick's Day, because we are here with our, with our, our Guinness. Each one of us has a bit of the black stuff. We are three lifelong Watford fans, seating holders in the rookery end, and these podcasts are our take on life as a Watford fan. It's our, our March podcast, we're, we're coming to the end of the season. Mike, you're, you're happy as a Watford fan? I'm as happy as I get, I think, at the moment. <laughs> as I mean, you get, definitely. What a yeah, fabulous, fabulous week last week. Um, obviously, the Burnley, West Ham and, and Derby results. Uh, what a Watford fan can't be happy with that. We'll certainly be chatting about those um, three wonderful games coming up. Well, Jason, what else have we got coming up on the podcast? Well, we're going to chat to Stephen McGinn in a very open interview about his career and his comeback after a prolonged injury. It was a productive month for points as we creep ever closer to that magical 50 mark. And as we're at the business end of the season, we're going to look forward to the final 10 games of the season. So let's crack on. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Come five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, there are many words that football fans can use on a weekly basis. But after a week where Watford had a home win, an away win, and an away draw at a very big club in the shape of West Ham, we asked you on facebook.com forward slash rookerend to sum up how you're feeling in just one word. You said chuffed. Relieved. Buzzing. Exceeding. Moist. Playoffs. Awesome. Ecstatic. Horny. Elated. Heaven. Magic. Happy. Amazing. Mid-table. Surprised. Unbelievable. Dice-tastic. Resilient. Optimistic. Smiley. Stunned. Wonderful. Better. Confused. Phew. Legend, I can't believe my eyes nearly top half dairy. Promotion. Grateful. Contented. Expectant. Fantastic. Proud. Super catchafragilisticic expialidocious. Plus the first and best from Richard Moore, also known as Apple, was love. And I don't think you can't beat the, the umlau above his E in that love. Just makes it a little bit, bit special. It was brilliant. Jason, what in the last month has made you be a proud Watford fan? I think those last two away performances, I, obviously we were lucky enough to go to the West Ham game and we saw a, what was a real back-to-the-wall but resilient fighting performance to, to get the draw. They, they certainly earned the draw there. And I don't think the Derby win could, can be underestimated either. We sort of came out of the West Ham game going, well, we've played well today. Naturally, fans will expect them to get something out of Derby, mm. having done at West Ham. But Derby have got, I think, the best home record in the bottom half of the table. They've won something like 10 games at home, now they've beaten Forest. So to go there and win, uh, I think it's a great result. Uh, and of course, both of those came off the back of a, a turnaround from a, a 2 deficit at home to Burnley as well. So they've shown a lot of fighting spirit, I think, in, uh, in recent weeks. Yeah, I mean, a 7 out of a possible 9 in a week. I'd never expect that from, from a club like Watford this season. Mike, you know, who'd have thought that Watford fans would be feeling the way they were when we were 2-0 down just after half-time 
against Burnley. Yeah, I think I think that's the big thing is the, the size of the swing from. It's not just those seven points. It's the size of the swing from where we were at two 0 down against Burnley. And you would say two 0 down after losing two games of trot to to Crystal Palace and Southampton. Um, yeah, we lost. We, and we, at that stage, it looked very much like we were losing three in a row. Now, a lot of the excited chatter before the lo- last podcast we did away for us was we were in a great position. Now, to get relegated, we need to lose five and someone needs to lose uh, win five. But against Burnley, we were staring down the barrel of losing our third in a row, then having to go to West Ham and going to have to go to Derby. And it looked, you know, you know, I'm like a pessimistic sod. Really? There's, a, you know, there's the five games. Well done, Watford. We've gone and bloody done it. We've shot ourselves in the foot from what was a relatively strong position. 2-0 down home, home to a tough side in Burnley we are staring down the barrel again and I was like I couldn't believe it I was I thought how are we going to when, when are we going to be free of relegation worries this season and of course the answer is I kind of think we are now after what you know what a great that performance um, you mentioned you asked Jace what, what made you proudest and I think the end of that Burnley game I think pretty much to a man Watford players were on their arse they were absolutely knackered they left it all out on the Joe Gardner went he went whistle went and he fell yeah and a lot of them did because they'd given absolutely everything to get back into that game to snatch the lead and then to hold on to it and cannot underestimate what a, what a big result that was and what a big effort from, from some of our players who had not really performed in the last couple mm. of games we'd had you know it was, uh, we'd been routed you know we'd let seven in at one stage we'd let nine in in three games with none in return and it, you know is, that is relegation form but to turn it round uh, and then to push on great result at Derby you guys saw that and then uh, uh, West Ham sorry which you guys were at and then the, uh, to, to crack on and, and, and get a result at Derby a wonderful wonderful week Jason can you put it down to one thing in particular um, I don't think I can uh, there's a couple of things I want to add. Um, it would be easy to say we've got uh, Kushak in, in goal and, and seems to have made a difference he's made some fantastic saves gloss over that early mistake at Southampton and obviously Sean Murray coming in and and certainly looking a class act out on the right with Kacinicic on the left we look like we've got a bit more creativity up in that final third now with those two up there so yeah a couple of different players freshen things up but I think Dyche is learning as, as a manager as well now uh, banging on about the West Ham game but um, we looked at that team sheet before that game and it, should, it should be pointed out that Jason and John had uh, hospitality for the West Ham game <laughs> so if they do carry on banging about it that's exactly why it was but we dear listener that, Mike. You but, that. but dear listener I share your frustration in them banging on about it because I wasn't there either so. but yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, so we looked at their team sheet beforehand yeah. and went, oh, God, we're going to get spanky. No Nosworthy. And yeah, Iwaluma up front, everyone was, oh, no, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and Hodson rested as well, so Hodson out, Dickinson back in, and it was, uh, yeah, too we much could change. Side, too many changes. But they were good changes. They were changes that worked. They, they beefed up the team in terms of their physical presence. And when you look at that West Ham side, they are full of big lads throughout. And the guys, yeah, they took to the task and, and it did the job. Is it fair to say that Iwilumu needs a big amount of credit for that performance that night? Because from what I heard, Absolutely. he was a, he was an important important player that night. Yeah, I mean it was definitely his best performance in a Watford chair that I've seen. There was a Southampton game where actually you'd hoped that Iwilumu would start because they had a much more physical presence that we 
couldn't do anything with. Yeah. And I he think that gets messed out. Yeah, I think for the Southampton one, it was the first game where Trotter had come on loan and was available. And you expect if you're going to be signing some young lad on loan from Premiership Club, you're probably going to put him straight in. Yeah. See how he gets on. You don't sign someone and then just leave him on the bench all the time. Funny enough, he has been there since. But played poorly. And he, yeah, yeah, he did. He struggled against against a very good defence. It has to be said. Yeah, yeah. But then since then, Garner's come into the side, uh, and he has played very well. Not looked like a goal scorer, but he, he's worked very, very hard, and we know that as Watford fans, we appreciate someone who works really hard. So it must have been quite a tough decision for Dyche to make to then drop him for West Ham, having played so well. And bringing Walumi back in, but it, it clearly was the right decision. And the same with Hodson. Hodson's been playing really well this season at right back. But again, he's chosen to rest him to put or have a more solid back four. Do you have a favourite performance in the whole month, Mike? Yeah, Palace away was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I'd, I'd go back to that Burnley game, I think, um, just because the sheer, you know, the guts it took to turn it around and the sheer effort that was evident that went into it. I mean, taking a point at West Ham's obviously good. They're Bertie big spuds, aren't they? They expect to roll teams like us over. And By especially way, after they did at the start of the season as well. They, those fans at West Ham were horrendous. Yeah, we were, we were lucky enough to go to the West Ham game. Really and, uh, in yeah. the, we were in the West Ham area. <laughs> and you're right, their fans are very expectant. They demonstrated it, one in particular, yeah. in a very aggressive manner. When when Sean Murray scored his goal from outside the box, a vintage Murray goal, I've never had to sit on my hands so hard in my life. Because if he noticed, I've been to a lot of games in the 1980s where you think, oh, something could kick off here. He looks a bit nasty. This man and his dad, I think, he was about 80. The two of them. Salt of the earth, were they? <laughs> Absolutely. Passionate West Ham fans. Love them. If our team gets into trouble, we know who to ask for at the double. Sean Murray, yeah, we happy. Don't score many goals with his head, but we're really grateful for his left pecky. Sean Murray, we happy. Sean Murray, we're happy now. Losing the game and it's late He'll give us cause to celebrate He's Sean Murray And we happy Ain't got no cash but we've got his style Whilst he's in yellow he'll make us smile He's Sean Murray Yeah We're happy Sean Murray We're happy Without Murray we'll frown But with him there's no way We'll go down with Sean Murray We're happy Here's a little song we wrote About Watford fans' new favourite bloke He's Sean Murray We're happy Read the musings and ramblings on the podcast blog at fromtherookeryend.com. So I've just popped to the bar for, uh, for my round uh, and, uh, and bumped into Dave Messenger, joint manager of uh, the Watford Internet Football Club, uh, who've been playing against Coventry today. Was it a good game, Dave? Well, that depends on which side of the fence is sitting. OK, and the uh, Watford side of the fence? We played pretty well. Um, we, we had one of our best weekends of the season, actually. We played really, really well. I feel sorry for Cov because um, they caught us on a bad day and I don't think they played as well as they can. So we won 6-1. Oh, that's good. I don't think 6-1 is probably a fair reflection, probably a little bit closer, but we uh, took our chance 
chances when they came, so we're pretty pleased with that. But... We're about to chat about the rest of the season. We've got yeah. ten games left. How are you feeling as a, uh, as a as a Watford fan? Quite confident, actually. I mean, the interesting thing for me is we've had this all this business with Mackay going to Cardiff and all this sort of hassle and people giving him pelters when Cardiff came to play. And I don't think that's right that they gave him so much stick. Yeah. But what you've got now is you've got a situation where Sean Dyche is actually on the cards to improve on what Mackay did, what Mackay did in the first season. Yeah. If you think back to Mackay's first season, you know we were still 19th, 20th, right near the end of the season, and we're still looking over our shoulders at the end. Dyche has got us well safe and comfortable in 14th. Nice big points gap. So if you're looking at it purely comparing their two first seasons, Dyche is way ahead. Yeah. And you wouldn't have said that. It's October, we'd have, we were fearing the worst. You know? And it's the, the, the improvement in the team, I think it's come down to giving Murray a go. The lad from Fulham's made a big difference. I think Kachalak, Alex. Yep. Alex, okay. yeah, Alex. Yeah, yeah, he's been good. He's been good. But it's been, they've just been more solid and they've listened to what Dyche is trying to get him to do, I think. And it, they've just, they, they just started to get grasp the mountain a bit more. Deeney's come on bundles. Uh, Hodson's come on bundles. You know, Mariapa's just gone to being one of the best centre-halves in the division now for me. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's, going, it's gone really well, I think. Um, James Penny here, and you're the, you're, you're the manager of the, uh, of the Coventry uh, fans team. Yeah, that's right. You're, uh, you're not quite in the same rosy, well, I wouldn't say what for a rosy, but you're not in the same comfortable position we are. How's, how's it going to be for Cov for the rest of the season? Yeah, it's been interesting the past few weeks because... We've looked like we want to stay up, but the board aren't backing us to give us the loans. Or it's it's clear that we can't keep using our kids, right? Just to rely on them because we need quality in the side, and they won't give us it. But with what we're doing now and the way we're playing, we've got uh, Alex Nimley in from Man City, and he's been he's made such a difference. Right. Okay. So hopefully, we've got the run of the run of the green because we've got six of, six of the seven sides around us coming up to the end of the season, and a majority of them are at home. Cool. So with a bit of luck, bit of that we might gone. escape it. So you, have you had to play lots of kids from quite early on the season then? Yeah, I mean we played uh, young Gale, bigger man. He's, I think he was 16 when he started at the start of the season. Uh, Connor Thomas came in last season. He went on loan to Liverpool and come back. He's 17. We, we've got a very young team, but we've not got the experience needed to sort of grab them by the scruff of the neck and say this is what you need to be doing. So Dave, Dave that's interesting because. We played our kids later on this season than we've had yeah. in the past. Yeah. That's a difference, isn't it? Yeah, Dyche went for that. And uh, there's a difference, really, for James, I think, is that uh, Dyche... I mean, he, he, he nailed his colours to the mast at the state in the summer, didn't he? And he said, I'm going to go and get these exper- these more experienced players. And you look at someone like Carl Dickinson, who's only 24, he's held up as the example of the sort of player that Dyche went out and got. And I think he realised or felt that going with the kids... Yeah, okay, we did really well with it last year with Malky, but and I kind of have a lot of time for this view in some ways that if you're gonna go, if you're gonna stick with the kids two years in a row, three years in a row, sooner or later it's gonna come and bite you on the bum. If you keep going with the kids, you have to have those experienced players in. Now there's two ways of doing it. It's the way Malky did it last year and it worked. There's the way Daishi's done it this year and so far it's working. And for Kov, hopefully the last you know nine, ten games, like you say, if they've got some home winnable home games, you might be able to pick up some points, pick up some wins, and you might yet get out of trouble. And then once you're out of trouble and you've stayed up, you kind of say, well, job done, we did it. However, we went about it. We did it. And we got the, we, we we got what we wanted. Well, it's, it's always fun in the championship. Oh, Dave, right. if anyone wants to get involved with uh, the Watford Internet uh, FC, how do they do it? The easiest thing is to have a look at our website, www.watfordifc.com. There's the plug. There's loads of information on there about our history and the players and stuff like that. And we try to keep it up to date. It's like works as a kind of news feed. 
but the easiest thing is to go onto that website. There's a couple of places where you can leave comments. Uh, just leave a comment on there, drop us your name, tell us you're interested in playing, or follow us on Twitter. At Watford underscore IFC is the way to go. Uh, just drop us a message on Twitter or anything like that and just uh, yeah, get in touch and we'll sort it out for you. I mean, we had a lad today who made his debut. Young young lad came and played on the right wing for us today, Andy Lewis, and he had a really good game set up, a couple of goals in the second half. So, you know, it's not a closed shop. People tend to look at us and think WRC is a closed shop and no one can get in there. And, you know, we're, we're, we're not like that. We've Maybe we were a little bit in the past. But we're all getting old. I'm, 30, I'm 39 now. I hate to say it, but I don't play anymore. And a lot of the lads that I've played with for the last 15 years are slowly slipping away and retiring. We need the young lads to come in as well. So anyone that's out there listening that fancies a game, just get in touch. Simple Brilliant. Answer. Thanks for your time, boys. Um, uh, good luck for every game you've got this season, apart from today. <laughs> from the rookery end. We all like to have a little go at predicting games. I usually get it massively <laughs> wrong, much to everyone's uh, enjoyment. But uh, we had an email. Thanks for getting in touch, Don McDougall. Don, <laughs> thanks for getting in touch. Great to hear from you. Here, email podcast from therookeryend.com. And this is what he said. Hi, guys. It's going to be a fascinating end of the season. Personally, I don't think we're going to take many more three-pointers with seven of the 12 remaining games against top 10 teams and also seven away fixtures in there. I'd like to think we can get wins against Coventry, Bristol City, Peterborough and hopefully sneak one against one of the top 10 teams Hull would be nice I predict draws against Ipswich despite their recent run of form and perhaps one of the leading teams Blackpool seeing as it is at Vicarage Road I don't see us getting much from Derby sorry Don you're wrong there already Leeds Cardiff Brighton Middlesbrough or sadly at West Ham well wrong again no need to be sad Don because we uh, (laughs) we picked up a point as we said so uh, Don goes on to say by my reckoning that will leave us with around 57 points anything around that mark would in my opinion be a great result for a season where we've had so many challenges and when so many predicted for the second year in succession that we were doomed for relegation. It hasn't been pretty football of late. We've ridden our luck, particularly at Nottingham Forest. As we know, we were there, Don. Yeah, I agree with you. We were lucky to get away with a, a result there. And what a result on Saturday against Burnley. Come on, your, come on, you horns. Best wishes, Don McDougall. Now, we already know that uh, we've had two games since Don sent us that email. And uh, in both cases, he was wrong. Uh, Pre-Coventry City, as we sit here in, in the pub, we are in 15th position, 47 points, minus 12 goal difference, with 17 points off the drop zone, but only 10 off the playoffs. Don is wrong so far. Do you think the rest of the season he's going to be wrong? Much else wrong? Um, I hope he is. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see his reasoning throughout. Uh, yes, I would expect to get a win today. Bristol City would be interesting. Mm. Uh, they'd probably be badly more than we are. And it's away from home. Same with if, Peaks, we, if we win today, today we need to see if there will be more battling than us. Yeah, that's that's it. That's what happens when you get to, to this end of the season. Um, and yeah, the ones that he says he doesn't see get much from are all tricky, but you never know. I mean, Leeds, new manager, been up down had a good result at the weekends. Middle, that was against Middlesbrough, who didn't play at all well, who seems to have slipped a bit in recent weeks. If we catch them again, on the, I mean, that'll be the end of the season. They might even be in the playoffs by then and might rest there, rest a few names but, for the playoffs. So you just don't know with these games. And it's going to be tough, as we saw last year, going to Cardiff. Um, yeah. Game results there. Brighton in their new stadium with their fans behind them. They're pushing on again now. They are going to be tough, tough games, those two. I think the joy, the joy about being a Watford fan is if you do win one in maybe five, six, seven against teams you don't expect to it, that, that one-off is almost is enough, really. Because yeah. let's be honest, like, as Don said in his email, most people predicted this was going to be a relegation scrap, us included. I don't think many Watford fans would have thought it's going to be anything but that. Mm. So 
to get the occasional win against the big side is, is no bad thing, really. I mean, you cannot expect us to... You expect us to compete in terms of fitness and in terms of desire and, and, and that side of things, but we just haven't got players of the same level of, of West Ham's or, you know... There's better squads out there. But with the, the sort of end of the season we had last year, which was sort of quite flat compared to Harry, the rest of the season... People forget what a dismal, dismal, dismal run we had. After we went and got drunk and did the podcast in Cardiff <laughs> and uh, got, got abused by Craig Bellamy, the, the wheels well and truly came off. Mm. I think we won three games in about the last... Three or four games in the last... 16, 17 games. It really did peter out. Didn't and it? after a, after a strong start, we got to the point where we were safe quite quickly, which everyone was pleased with. And we went on that wonderful run of seven games that we won in a row. But after that, it was it was relegation form. If that had started a month earlier, we would have been we'd have yeah. had it. Well, I've got a, a, you know the, the good thing about when we get to this position where lots of people are saying that the 47 we've got already is actually probably enough. That. Dice might start playing some more of the younger players. I've got a dream, Mike. It's a dream of my starting eleven when Watford play Middlesbrough on the last game and the last home game of the season. Does that make it a dream team, then, John? It does make it a dream team. <laughs> it goes in gold, Jonathan Bond. Back four, Doyley, Mariapa, Adam Thompson, Lee Hodgson. In the middle, Sean Murray, Jonathan Hogg, John Eustace and Stephen McGinn back after his injury. Gavin Massey up front, and with him, this man. This is British Sombolonga doing the conga on from the rookery end. The t- that team is, is, is full of fans' favourites. Players, you know, Hogg and Houston in the middle have just been fantastic, I think, this season. Steam again, like I say, because getting back from injury. But it's a Watford team, it's a Watford bred team there. He in particular is someone who a lot of Watford fans have known about the goals he's been banging in at, at, um, at Willstone and more recent Range Tree. And he's back, recalled, with fingers crossed to get some sort of. I think he'll be, very, be today. very surprised to have been recalled from what was a very successful loan spell. He was enjoying it there, Braintree, a good outfit, and to be brought back and then for him not to feature against Coventry today, I think it would be a big surprise. So, and the fact that he sent Gavin Massey out again on loan. Just looking at that, that team, very similar I think, to what I like. I might change the uh, the back four a bit. I think I wouldn't play Mariapa, nope. given that I would imagine he would be off in, in the summer. summer. I'd probably have Nozzer in there to play in that back four uh, and have him play alongside Dale Bennett I mean I think it's it's great because what there was a big concern amongst Watford fans that, that Sean Dyche was simply ignoring these players mm. and it obviously it obviously wasn't the case why would you do that Malky had shown it could be done and with to a degree of success last year He's, he's phased Sean Murray in with obvious results. Asombolonga has come back. It looks like he might get involved. He's tried with people like Witchlow, who he sent out on a number of loans, who is back again from Wickham, having, you know, he's done, you know, he's... You say that Dyche phased these players in, but he hasn't really. With um, Murray... Murray's first thing he started yeah but he hasn't brought him in right at the start of the season no, 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 is what I mean it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like though with, with Murray um, who knows what he'll do with, with the others he hasn't sort of going well sit yourself on the bench or bring you on for 20 minutes no, he's gone you know that. what go for it but that's a markedly different thing that Dyche has done compared to Malky well, I don't that, think Malky was shy about starting these, these players either John I think what they've done is worked hard with Murray behind the scenes and made sure that he plays when he's ready and not until 
Um, and then he started, it was a surprise to everyone when he started against Tottenham. Oh, yeah. But, it, you know, he actually struck me at the time as, well, you know, what a masterstroke. Throw a young lad in against these sort of players, big night, great atmosphere. Here you go, son, this is what you could be achieving. This is the sort of um, company you could be keeping in if you buckle down and work. That's what's out there for you. And that's, what, that's how youngsters... It's, it's all too easy to throw them in because we, we were talking about Coventry earlier on and they're, they're skinny. So their team is basically full of youngsters. Now, that's out of necessity and it may work for them, it may not, but it's not... While, while having a, a plan to get youngsters through into the first team is absolutely essential and is the blueprint for, for football, relying on, on them to a degree where they have to play isn't. That's, that doesn't work, and, you know, and that's why Cover are, are struggling, I think. Mm. So just to throw them in because they're young and because we have them isn't, isn't necessarily the, the right approach. It's nice that we, we've got the choice rather than necessity this year. Yeah, and I think, I think Watford fans need to, need to recognise that Dyche has... Because people say, well, what's going on? Why isn't Mitchell playing? And, you know, well, it turns out he actually looks like he's probably a bit crap, <laughs> to be honest, because he's not getting in the team at Wicked. So... We talked about, you know, Chris Ivalumi has had an awful, awful run from Watford fans. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't got amongst the goals, so you want a striker to score goals. But how valuable is he in, the, in and around the club? How valuable was he to get that point at West Ham? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, well, the thing with strikers, you judge them on goals. Actually, if you look at the game properly, you can judge them more. And he's brought Kushak in as well, which I think is mm. uh, we need a freshening up there. So, again, you know, credit to, to Sean Dyche. There's a lot of he would have gone, I think, against if we had have lost those games against Brighton and Peterborough, he would have gone. And I think even the fairest of minded fan would probably said, well, you know, if you're a businessman sitting down looking at the league table, looking at the results, you can't really argue with it. I would have been disappointed, but I don't think anyone would have argued. But it just goes to show you give someone a little bit of time. I'm not saying Sean Dyche is going to lead us to the Champions League. In but so we've got this we live in season by season at this football club there's always something going on and as it stands our monthly our yearly target is staying up I don't see that changing Marvin Sordell's been sold and the bond's been paid done you happy know? so but that's how we're going to exist it's hand to mouth and that won't change so we need to remember that we're in it together give people like Sean Dyche time um, and then when he does get it right give him credit and I think Watford fans are fair they are but I think it's, the, the season has panned out well after what was a horrendously hard start so let's enjoy this moment but also look back and see the thing as a whole Jason Mike just said let's enjoy something yeah. I, know. I know how the man let's, can change let's, let's just pause and take that in for a bit oh wasn't that beautiful <laughs> stay in the loop and get involved on facebook.com Slash rookery end. Here it is, a collection of historic and intriguing items that define Watford Football Club. Oh, it's Watford in 100 objects! This month we have items 28, 29 and 30 of our search for 100 objects that sum up Watford Football Club. This season we've been asking you to send us your ideas for objects that either define a historic moment for the club or define your relationship as a fan with the mighty Watford FC. Yes, come! I just have an overpowering <laughs> urge of love for Watford then. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Number 28 is an edition of Clap Your Hands, Stamp Your Feet magazine. And as Dave is in the pub still, um, we can ask a man who wrote for such a magazine about it. So, Dave, how did Clap Your Hands come about then originally? Well, it's, um, it's fair to point out at this stage that I wasn't involved in it when it first started. There's a fellow called Matthew Bento 
and um, I do know the, the back story but Matthew and his brother Andrew and two mates of theirs John Gundry and uh, I never forget I never remember the other, guy, the other guy's real name but his nickname was Fumble, so was Fumble. <laughs> right. and the four of them went out and got annihilated after a Watford game proper proper drunk and on the way home they were sort of talking about mud sweat and beers they were like, we could do better fans in the mud sweat and beers so that was how it was born of it Matthew decided he'd do all the right all the editing and stuff like that Andrew, John and Fumble would do a bit of the writing Fumble never contributed a single article to Pat Meehan's stand your feet but having met the fellow once or twice back in the day I think it's fair to say that he was probably an inspirational force more like the Baz good. Uh, the Bez yes yes a little bit of a Bez maybe on the side of us. but the other three of them used to write the articles and it was great for the first year or so but I think they soon got tired of it and they were looking for people to write articles and myself and another fellow called Stuart Brown who had always bought the fans in we used to sit me and Stu used to stand together at games we'd always bought the fans in and Matthew used to say to us oh write me an article if you want to write something write it so me and Stu whatever never giving it a go but have a go and it just went from there really me and Stu wrote a couple of articles each next thing you know Matthew's asking us to get involved more regularly and be regular writers and he's asking us to help him with the editing and John and uh, Matt's brother Andrew kind of took a little bit of a sidestep when they went away to uni so there was myself Matt Stuart Brown that's when the infamous Richard Walker, who's now gone on to very lofty positions, as we all know, uh, then he got involved a little bit further on down the line. And that's probably its, it's heyday, really, to be fair to the other lads. I think Rich got involved in about 93, maybe, maybe a little bit earlier, he'd tell you better, but I think that was the heyday when it was myself, Rich Stewart and Matt Bento and another lad called Martin Brocklebank who used to get involved as well. And then through that, we got a lot of other people involved in writing. I got my dad to write a few bits, you know, Stuart got a mate of his to write a few bits, and we just built up the team of writers. It just, it went from there, really. Pre-95, there was no, you know, this is, this is early computers. How did you, how did you do it? He had a, one of these terrible little, it was almost like, do you remember the ZX81? Yeah. It was almost like a ZX81. It was it had a little word processing package on it. And I don't know how he did it. I mean, if he, we'd need him here, really, just to sort of <laughs> tell us how he did it. But if you listen to this, Ben, as right in and tell him how you did it, because I can't, I, I don't know how you managed it. <laughs> the keys were tiny. And when he pressed the keys, when you're looking at the screen, the figures on the screen were tiny as well. And me and Stuart sit there going, I can't read that. I can't read any of it. And Ben was just... Yeah. And you remember the typeface from the early issues of Clap before we had the computer? It's yeah. terrible. Most weeks it was illegible. God knows how we ever managed to sell the thing because most of the articles were just black splodges of ink in the middle of everything. It was crazy, really. Benners was the was the was the driving force. He was every, you know he did everything really. Me and Stuart and Rich just wrote stuff, give it to Benners. But I think it was Rich was the first one to buy a PC. Right. And Rich wrote up an article and typed it up on his PC in a Times New Roman, and it looked all smart and nice and he gives it to Benners and he goes there you go just put that straight in like that and Benners like oh, no 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 I'll retype it up using this thing. <laughs> so they had a little bit of an argument for the next couple of months about how they were going to go about it and Rich was like no we need to do it on this PC it looks terrible we need to do it on my PC so more and more of it got done like that and then Benners bought himself a PC and then it sort of really started to look pretty cool after that so by the time Clap Your Hands then merged with the Yellow Experience and we did look at the stars by that point me and Colin Payne were doing the fanzine on our own Stuart and Rich had moved on to the club Stuart had gone off to do his own thing. Uh, Benners was, after all these years of clap, he was tired, so he'd sort of stepped aside from it. He still used to write for a look at the stars, but me and Colin had a proper desktop publishing, you know, we thought we were the bloody kings of the world. <laughs> the stars, you know. Look at this fantastic, glossy magazine we produce. It's rubbish as well, really, but people remember it, and it's what, quite nice that people remember it. What are your, what are your, what's the, what the favourite thing you did in that magazine? 
Um, in clap, the clap your hands days, because I just sort of wrote it for it. So I just used to do the odd article here and there and match reports and stuff like that. So my favourite articles from the fanzine years were the ones that I did for Look at the Stars, because by then me and Colin were just pretty much doing the whole thing on our own in terms of editorial. So Colin and I's brainchild, Colin and I have new ideas, let's go and do this, send stuff out to the writers, get the writers to send things in. But the two things that I did in the Look at the Stars era that I loved were interviewing Gianluca Vialli. And Gianluca Vialli, everybody remembers this fella that wasted all of his money and all the rest of it. But that afternoon, I learned more in two hours having a conversation with Gianluca Vialli about football than I think I've learned in the rest of my time watching it. The guy was an absolute fountain of knowledge. And I think he was poorly advised by people. And I think he, he didn't surround himself with the best staff. And he thought he knew what he was doing and he had no-one to tell him, Gianluca, you're doing this wrong. Yeah. Until Ray Lewington comes in later in the season and gets more of a voice and then they go out and get Gavin Martin, they go and get Wayne Brown. By then the die is cast and it's gone. And that is why that's my favourite memory, really, because everybody else has this view of Viardi that he was, you know, terrible, wasted all our money and all the rest of it, but could so easily have gone the other way if he'd had someone there that would have told him these aren't the right sort of players Luca these players are not going to get us out of the division they're the players we get when we get into the Premier League we need to go and get the Wayne Browns and the Gavin Marnes and the workers you know we need to get out of division. Need to get out of this division with workers you Mike you loved it as well didn't you oh these things were brilliant I mean uh, younger fans sort of fanzines are still very very popular with, with big clubs but we haven't had uh, a regular fanzine for a little while but I mean really they were the inspiration for what we're doing now they set the tone for, for these sort of podcasts. It's sort of a, a caring but sort of humorous, humorous in quote marks here, look at Watford. It's, it's the people who care about the club, want to pass comment on it, but don't want to be, you know, be taken too seriously. Look yeah. at the talk about whether you should be in the offside trap. It's all about the, it's almost about the personality of the club and what it's like being a football fan. You know, an average bloke who enjoys a, a drink and a trip out with his mates to see a bit of football. And that, it really came to life through those pages. It was just there was some real comedy moments in there. My absolute favourite was um, they did a thing called the uh, Robbo's Diaries, the, the diaries of uh, Paul Robinson, aged eight and three quarters. And his favourite uh, pastime was bootering Luton players, and uh, he got very excited whenever he got a chance to play Luton. So just very little sort of irreverent things like that, and they were just a great little, um, a great addition to the programme, which would give you all your, your meat and drink about Watford, all the stats, all the all the interviews, and then you get these really uh, very very funny um, comment pieces and very sort of a lot of it was made up, a lot of it was absolute nonsense, but it was but, all good. But it was brilliant and uh, yeah, real inspiration as to, to, to what I don't think without clap your hands, I'd be sat here doing doing what we're doing today. Well, there's a new edition out today, and we're going to pick up a copy on our way to uh, the ground. Now, object number 29 is an Ivanhoe night. Now, I do a thing every year called Canoe Club, where me and a bunch of blokes get in canoes and we canoe down the River Wye. I, know, I never knew that world, what Canoe Club would be like. That's what we do. And we, we drink beer and we eat wagon wheels. And we stop off at a pub at Ross and Wye on a Saturday afternoon in the Hope and Anchor. It's called the Hope and Anchor. This year, I was wearing my Watford shirt. As I went through the bar to the toilet, I get a shout, Oi! Watford <laughs> and I went over and saw this bloke I, I can't remember his name he doesn't live in Watford anymore but him and his family they were Watford fans they were Watford fans and we're chatting away about oh, Danny Graham possibly going at that point because it, it was still the summer yeah. and I said uh, I said to him well, what, if you any like, famous memories and he goes well there was that one half time when the Ivanhoe night came on the pitch and I went what in 1952 
there was an Elizabeth Taylor film called Ivanhoe. It was the story, and I take this from the IMDb uh, database, returning from the Crusades in the Holy Land, Ivanhoe learns that King Richard the Lionheart is imprisoned in Austria. Once in England, his pleas to pay the ransom falls on deaf ears as Prince John and cronies enjoy their current situation far too much. Joining forces with Robin of Loxley, Robin Hood to me and you, Ivanhoe takes steps to raise the money and while trying to re-establish his relationship with his father, who disowned him years previously. I'm guessing Elizabeth Taylor was the... Uh, the, the love interest of, of Ivanhoe. I would imagine so, yeah. yeah. It's just got Watford Football Club written all over it. <laughs> the, 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 the one thing I loved about when I met this fella was he said, well, if I want to go to the football, either I could afford to go to the cinema or to the football because they cost exactly the same back then. Isn't that interesting? Um, and he said he went to this one game and in 1952 because Ivanhoe was playing at the local cinema and this bloke on a back horseback and in a black... Armour came onto the pitch. So the Ivanhoe Knight is going into our list. Jason, object number 30. Kevin Miller's clean sheets. Who? I don't know if you guys remember back in the uh, in the early months of 1995. Distant memory for me, I think I was supporting from afar. I was still at university during the time. I was too busy walking uh, in the cinema watching the Ivanhoe Knight. <laughs> <laughs> the re-release. Um, yeah, we, we went on a run of nine games, nine successive games, where Kevin kept clean sheets every single game. That's the club record, isn't it? That's, a, I believe, it's a club record. To be um, fair, watching how uh, Kushak and uh, Mr Loach have played this season, <laughs> I would suggest it's probably fairly safe for this year. <laughs> well, we got to catch up with Kevin at the London Masters last July, uh, and we had to ask him about... His clean sheets. I think we had the nine clean, sheet, clean sheets in a row. I always remember the goal we conceded was against um, Sunderland on a wet night and they were struggling. It was probably one of the easier games we had and uh, we got beat 1 0. I remember that on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night down at Lincoln Road. Was there a bit where you kind of started believing you could beat a record? It was a club record at the time? Not really. I mean, you know, obviously it was, it's great to have, you know, no goals against and, and a little go. I mean, Perry played in one of the games, I think, in Scarborough in the FA Cup. Um, I, that. I didn't fancy driving up that one for that one. I was ill that one. But um, I think the closer it got to the record, the more you became aware of it. I mean, we were just ticking over the results and, you know, we weren't going that great, you know, up for a while and we were struggling. But um, we got in a run and, you know, like you say, it just comes a little habit winning, you know, games. And it was brilliant. It was a great time. He started at the beginning of January '95 with a, a nil-nil draw at Bristol City, and it included four FA Cup games, I believe. One of um, which against Scarborough. One against Scarborough. Two against Scarborough. Two against yeah, two against Scarborough. One of the away game oh, with the in, also in a, a Darren Basie hat trick at South End. Oh. A lot of people remember that the, the, the Wednesday game, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, a nil-nil draw at home to Bristol Palace in the FA Cup. Palace at the time were in the Premier League, so a good result for the Hornets at the time. Uh, unfortunately, after that Palace game, we had a home game against Sunderland. Sunderland at the time were really struggling and had been on a really poor run of form. And typical Watford went and lost at home 1-0. If you've got an object, we're only up to number 30. There's still 70 places to go. Make sure you get in touch. Podcast at fromtherookerend.com. We'll have any ideas you've got. Podcast at fromtherookerend.com. Got something to send the boys? Then email podcast at fromtherookerend.com. 
So we've slowly but surely been getting rid of our Scottish contingent. Farewell, Malky. Farewell, uh, Don Cowie. But we maintain one very important Scot. No, I mean, Chris Lumen, nothing against you. <laughs> nothing against any other Scots that might have uh, missed out. But what I'm getting to, Steve McGinn. It was fabulous for us in, in patches last year. Then obviously got that really, really nasty injury. Started to come back now. He's made a couple of... Um, reserve games? Yeah, or what, what are they called now? Development... Uh, they call them development games, don't they? I think they're the reserve league... Well, as what we said, no more. Yeah. Because, as you know, dear listener, here from the rookery end, we are sticklers for detail. <laughs> we must get everything right. So, but anyway, Steve McGinn, he's on the road back. Absolutely, I'm personally delighted to see him back. I know you guys are as well. He was instrumental in some of our better performances last year. I think that game against QPR, particularly. It was amazing. We got to talk to Steve recently. He joined us from Pacific Mirror. joined us in January 2010. He's made 38 appearances so far and tipped in with a couple of goals. He damaged his knee ligaments, of course, that horrible injury I was talking about, in a 1-1 draw against Donny Rovers on the 26th of February 2011, so over a year out already. The good thing is, though, the only good thing, only good thing about his injury is that it led to Danny Graham's second best Indeed. to be shown. Yeah. Jason started off the interview, uh, and there was only one place we could ask: How has his recovery been going? Obviously, had your problems with injury. How do you cope? How do players cope with, a, with such a long layoff? Well, it's been my first injury of this kind of length, so I, I have found it really hard. But you do learn to cope, mate, because it's. It's something you really want to beat and making really good progressions like every week. So it's it's actually quite exciting to to get involved wee bits with the team and I'm I just I'm just so close now. Malky obviously was managed at the time. He had a similar injury when he was playing, so he was pretty adamant he wanted me round about the training ground, even though I couldn't do anything. He thought it was important that I was still around because obviously my family and friends are all from up north and and when the boys were in training and there was nobody around, so that was really good for me at the time. Just coming in, even, I was, the physio would have a look at me in the morning and then I'd come in, even watch the table tennis after lunch, just to, just to keep me busy, have a bit of food, so. It did, did not, that, that not make it feel hard, you mentioned the sort of frustration, seeing the other guys sort of running around getting ready for, for the next game, did that not make it harder or was that more of a, an inspiration sort of thing? Uh, well, believe it or not, right, as soon as the injury's diagnosed, as soon as you've had the operations, it's like you're you're super keen to get back. You're thinking, right? The surgeon said 90 to 12 months. I'm going to do it in six or seven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a bit naive. Um, so the first couple of months are easy. I think anyway. Looking back, the hardest bit's six, seven months, just before you're able to run, where you're on the bike three hours a day. Uh, you're in the gym every day, and and I think they are the hard times. The start and the end are easy. Well, there must be some points when it when you feel quite bored. What do what do you do to sort of avoid that boredom? Well, I, f- I find the weekends really hard um, because obviously for five years I'd trained all week. Mm. I played on the Saturday, so I find that really hard. Um, when the boys are away from home, they're leaving the Friday, and I'd be looking at one o'clock. What, what do I do now? I'm off Saturday, Sunday. I've not got a game to go to mm. or anything. So I do, I do, I still find that hard. Obviously frustrating to you to be out for so long. I think the frustrating thing for us as fans is that you were playing so, so well before, before, before the injury. Well, well, just before I did my face, I'd maybe played 10, 12 games in a row and I felt like I was playing the best football in my career. I was feeling really comfortable playing a really exciting team, a team where we felt we could go anywhere in the league and win. So that was really frustrating for me at the time, to be out for four weeks. And then when you come back, you feel kind of established. So you feel like a wee bit of um, responsibility on your shoulders. And I think that was bringing a lot more out in my game 
and then to do that right away, you're just thinking, how, because it wasn't like I could have prevented any of the injuries. It wasn't like I wasn't doing enough work to, to stop me getting muscle injuries. It was someone elbowing my face and then someone kicking my knee. So um, I did feel really frustrated. I still feel frustrated. frustrated. I always think back to Doncaster. Maybe I should have just put that chance away. <laughs> 30 seconds later, it was in a heap. Yeah. Speaking about frustrations, Stephen, we've had a couple of Scotsmen on the podcast over the years. We've spoken to Malky, um, Don Cowie, Don Cowie, Craig, Craig Forsyth as well. Craig yeah. Forsyth. Now we always ask him, who's the most Scottish at Watford? And without a shadow of a doubt, without <laughs> blinking, they go, Stephen McGinn. <laughs> now talk to us about Scotland, Stephen. <laughs> no, what what they always say, why I'm most Scottish is because. As soon as some Scotland bashing comes into it, Don Kerry and uh, Craig Forsyth, they all kind of they blank it out. They never did it Malky, so it was never an issue. They'd never started on Malky, so <laughs> that was never an issue. What I can't take is the Scotland bashing, so I get involved and I bite back, and all of a sudden you're on 20 Englishmen against me. So <laughs> it's, it's a battle you can't really win, but... Are you still prepared to take it on? Yeah, still try and take it on, foolishly. Who's uh, who's the biggest Scotland basher then at uh, at Watford? Um, I'd say them all, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think think that's an English thing. As as England fans, you're not going to find us complaining about that, I'll be honest. honest. Uh, I think because of the way I bite back... They've all jumped in the bandwagon now, anyway. You've got it. Who's it's a lot, obviously a lot of characters here at Watford. Who do you say is like the biggest, largest, larger than large character in the in the dressing room? Um, probably Rene Martin. Yeah. Um, obviously, last last year Danny Graham by by a distance. Um, he's left and Rennie's kind of taken over the mantle a wee bit. Um, but crazy Irishman and <laughs> most goalies are pretty mental anyway. So um, he does fit the bill. Talk about with you and you uh, with, with about Danny. How did you feel when he lifted up his his, um, his shirt and his vest? With uh, especially for you. Well, obviously I wasn't at the game, but uh, that was a nice gesture. And I did. He came to see me himself. Don Kerry, Mary Upper, they came they came to see me quite a lot during the first couple of weeks. And uh, he's a cl- close friend of mine. We were, we were all pretty close, and um, they, I was I was quite chuffed that they were so sad to see me. What had happened to me? So. It was a nice gesture. And how did you, how did you find the move to Watford, Stephen? Because obviously you're relatively young, um, massively experienced as a footballer. Quite a big move to come down to come down to Watford. How, how was that for you? Looking back, I, th- I think I was a wee bit overawed. Um, I was playing every week for for my old team. Um, I was I was kind of got to a stage at St Mon where it was probably in a comfort zone. Um, I wouldn't say it was easy for me, but I wasn't getting any better. So. Um, mm. And then when the move to Watford came, um, obviously you're delighted. The initial um, excitement, everything you go, you're training, you're training well. But I, I think I give you when I when I came to Watford, obviously there's a big, a lot of big names, big characters: Jay Demera, Hyder Helgeson, John Harley. And I was saying, these are big players, how much? Like, and it took me a while and to get used to the kind of because uh, Malky's teams were obviously extremely fat they played a hell of a tempo mm-hmm. and um, obviously my, my fitness until the pre-season when I came back did a lot of work and I came back I didn't feel like I did myself justice and um, thankfully Malky and um, 
Daishi saw enough in me in the first six months that they knew I could come back. As long as I was fit enough, I could back and offer something to the team. You talk about some of those bigger names, but when you were playing in Scotland, I think, right, you scored against both of the old firm clubs. That must have been pretty special. Yeah, it was, um, well, as was a boyhood Celtic fan, if I never play for the club, I'll always be able to say I scored twice at Celtic Park. So, um, And then, as a boyhood Celtic fan, <laughs> to score the winner against Rangers is something that... Um, I'll never forget probably the best day of my life um, beating them 1-0 and putting Celtic back top of the league so. <laughs> did, it, did it feel different scoring against Rangers did you have time to sort of compute I've just, I've just scored against Rangers um, just... well, what, what happens when you score against one old firm as, when it, as immediately after it's like the Alamo it's like what we always used to say is you don't want to score too early mm-hmm. um, in my first game the first game course I scored against Celtic I scored to make it one each with the rest of the second half to go, and uh, <laughs> we ended up 5-1. <laughs> oh, right. It made them angry. So when I, scored, <laughs> when I scored against Rangers, it was 15 minutes to go and it was 1-0. And I think they hit the post twice. It was headers off the line, so you don't even have time to enjoy it. But I remember as soon as the whistle went, it, it, was, like, it was like emotional. It was like everything I'd ever wanted to do. Yeah, amazing. Um, and I remember looking up at my dad and, like, it was just it was just amazing. It was everything he'd wanted to do. So, like, um, I'd loved out of dreams for the both of us, so that was, it was an amazing day. I guess the, sec- the second, what, what would be that you've obviously achieved one of your, your big goals. Have you got any, any major sort of uh, tangible goals like that with Watford? Um, well, that, that picture up there, that's something I'd love to achieve. Um, it's, it's a strange league where as long as you're stay, as long as we're still in, um, no, I don't mean contention. As long as you're still just enough away from it, come around Christmas time, you can make a serious go for it. Mm. And while I'm at Watford, I want to experience what Lloyd Doyle, Eddie Mariapa talk about all the time. Do they? Do they talk about it? Still? Not all the time, but when you ask them about it, as soon as you ask them, a big smile comes across yeah, the yeah. face because it's, it's such an amazing achievement and. Um, all these guys are, are legends for achieving it. Always like Gavin Mann came into training us in the summer, mm-hmm. and he's a Watford legend because he's, he's yeah. achieved promotion. And um, it's, it's something. It's such a tight league that this club's spending a lot of millions, millions of pounds. But with the right team spirit, with the right hard work, it's going to be tough. You need some luck, but why not? A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. Sitting out quickly emptying Vickers Road. Um, what, what time is it? About nine o'clock? About nine o'clock. It feels a bit like that. Uh, Richard Short, the Watford uh, announcer, has just said, uh, see you next week for more fun and games. Mike, was that fun and games? Absolutely astonishing on every <laughs> level that a game of football between professional fo- um, clubs could be that poor, officiated by a referee <laughs> could be that poor. Um, just so devoid of quality, wasn't it? It was just a tough watch. It was. I think they, they looked like there was one man that could possibly liven it up, and I think that was catching it, but I don't think he saw enough of the ball and no. then con- ended up um, going off injured in the second half anyway. And, and once he had gone, any sort of hope, I think, that we had of winning the game was gone. Yeah, had nil-nil written all over I mean, it from that to, point onwards. I've got to say, how glad I am not to be as it stands. I mean, we're still not safe, of course, but mm. that's another point towards our 50. But how glad I am not... I mean, Coventry not going for it. You know, nil-nil. Mm. That was a game to be won for them. That was three points. Mm. They celebrated at the end. Like, they got all three. And they, what they'd actually done was sort of 
stumbled across, across a sort of really random nil-nil. So I'd just, just be thankful that despite we didn't win that, we were in a position to sort of laugh at it as opposed to sort of yeah. treat it as a precious hmm. gem. Uh, well, but but referee, gotta say, he's re- horrendous. I mean, something has to happen about. I know there's a referees assessors and stuff, but, but and I know that we get a lot wrong as supporters. We don't get a great view. We are a long way away. Yeah. We think we know it all, but some of the decisions are just. We talk about a lot about referees these days, and it's because you you see the decisions over and over again on the telly. But we're watching the game live here, and we could see yeah. firsthand that they were they were bad decisions. Yeah, and I just wonder how you know if the game the game's got a lot to do to make sure it survives there's a lot competing for people's attentions and the, the, f- the football supporter is changing and it expects if they're going to pay a lot of money they expect the product to be of a certain standard and for it to be well, you know again we think they have a tough job but they can't continue to get it wrong they can't continue to be so changeable the referees it, it's, it's what the answer is I've no idea but anyway we, we, got, a, we got a nil-nil draw Sombolonga made his debut the 50th academy graduate yeah. Play on that pitch, Brit Asomba Longa. What a name! What a way to have. No to conga a happened, no. Um, but uh, he made his debut uh, today, and that's fantastic. Yeah, great. I mean, what a, what a great stat! The 50th uh, academy graduate since that since that thing set up. I mean, you can't. You don't words words are not needed to just mm. to explain how important that is for a club like Watford. I said it earlier. It's the blueprint. It's the way every club should operate. And Brit didn't look out of place out there today. You know, is against a, a big, big back four, struggling for for their life, fighting for their life. So he didn't get much change today. Yeah, but. I think he looked like he missed a pace a little. He missed a step or two. I think that's often what happens when you come up a division. You think, oh, okay, well, he's a bit that bit quicker, and oh, that ball's going to be that little bit, you know, harder to get. It did. It did look like. He, he noticed it out there. You could see he was, yeah, it was like, oh, it's, yeah, it, like you say, a little bit quicker. But the one moment for him that stood out for me was when he got up for that header mm. in the first half. He rose very, I mean, he's not a tall lad, and he, and he rose and, and put a firm header on the ball. You could hear it, Jason. You, you could hear, he definitely heard it. Got into the space, made the opportunity for himself as well. So, uh, yeah, promising promising signs. I think, and with, yeah. with Murray out there as well. Yeah. Just fabulous. Another, we, we sung his praise earlier. Iwalumi played well today, I must say. Yes, the gold, gold he did. Level. He did. He came on, did what uh, he, he did. He got. He looked quite quick, mm. which yeah, I think was one word I would not use to describe before. But yeah, he worked hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, was, it, was, it wasn't the best ending to what we were having a fantastic month at the beginning of this podcast. Well, poor, but it, a wasn't poor, dark, it wasn't a poor start to the month, a very, uh, an excellent middle, yeah. and then uh, sort of the, that, that was the full stop, wasn't it? It was. Uh, mm. Nice More stop than full. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Bristol on Tuesday. Ipswich at home again next Saturday. 48 points. I'm happy. Yeah, lots to look forward to. Well done, Hornets. Make sure you get in touch. Podcast at fromtherookeryend.com, facebook.com forward slash rookeryend, or get us on our Twitters. Uh, I'm Rookery John. I'm Jace Bailey. And I'm Rookery Mike. Make sure you do email in. Keep using the Facebook page. It's awesome hearing from everybody. It's just uh, really helps to shape the podcast. So it's always nice to hear. Any thoughts you've got, get in touch. Nine games to go. Come on, you horns. Yep. Go on. I'll be yellow.